Welcome to First Words, a podcast presented by the First United Methodist Church of Florence. Today's message is brought to you by Senior Pastor Reverend Dale Cohen. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of the First Words podcast of First United Methodist Church in Florence, Alabama. I'm Dale Cohen, Senior Pastor, and we're continuing our series on Faces of Jesus And today I want to talk about passionate devotion. Now, in this Faces of Jesus series, uh, I've been drawing inspiration from artwork that um, different artists have have shared with me on their rendition of the face of Jesus. And so I'm going to be talking about three um, um, pieces of work uh, here at the beginning. And you can go to the website and get a look at these. Uh, I want to use John chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, uh, which is a story of Jesus being anointed by Mary, and it begins this way. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for three hundred denarii and the money given to the poor? John adds this parenthetical statement. He said, This not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Then we pick up, pick back up. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When we decided to do the Faces of Jesus series, asking artists to share how they see the face of Jesus, we had no idea who would respond. Several artists have risen to the challenge, and I'm grateful for what they've brought to us. I chose to meditate on three pieces of art as I prepared this week's message. Nancy Parrott's Portrait of Jesus builds on the traditional image that we have from our childhood. Confident and strong, yet loving and attentive, Jesus is a source of comfort and courage. Another painting by Carolyn Jones, who's a friend of mine from Birmingham, represented Jesus as a young, dark-skinned shepherd with a lamb stretched across his shoulders, evoking Jesus' role as the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And Jeannie Chenault has another entry, Through His Eyes, where she illustrates her belief that God sees each of us through the eyes of unconditional love. My meditation this week centered on the passion of these women and what their love for Jesus comes through in the paintings that they've so beautifully shared. There's a creative force behind all great art, drama, music, architecture, and literature. That force is passion. Passion energizes and motivates us. Without passion, life becomes dull and routine. Passion is the fire that ignites astronauts to travel to the limits of of space. 
It compels scientists to spend countless hours searching for a cure. And it's the intangible stuff that transforms a good athlete into a great athlete capable of breaking records. We need passion to experience the fullness of life that Jesus promised to give all those who follow him. Nelson Mandela said, There is no passion to be found playing small in settling for a life that is less than the one you are capable of living. I like the way Nelson puts this because passion tells us to go big or go home. It challenges our devotion to whatever we say we believe in, inspiring us to dig deeper. A life without passion is unremarkable and sad. However, a life with passion is refreshing and noteworthy. John's gospel describes two such people. Judas serves as the antagonist to Mary's protagonist in the story of the dinner party thrown in Jesus' honor. Mary's passion for Jesus is on vivid display when we read this in verse 3. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Judas tells us in his response to Mary's devotion that the perfume she wasted on Jesus' feet was worth a year's wages for a laborer. This is how it reads in the gospel. Judas asked, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Judas reasoned that they could have sold the perfume and given the money to the poor. And John assures us, though, that it wasn't because he really cared about the poor. That was merely a ruse to cover his greed. John said, Judas said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Judas's motivation comes from his passion for enriching himself, while Mary's motivation is her passionate devotion to Jesus. In verse 7 we read, Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. It's important to note here that in John's gospel, Jesus says his hour, that is his death, is at hand. Yet his disciples have failed to see the immediacy of this moment. But Mary, she sees it all too clearly. So she takes this opportunity to prepare his body for burial while she can. On the other hand, Judas is so caught up in his selfishness that all his senses are focused on acquiring more for himself. Mary's devotion is a threat to his plans, and we'll see how greed has overtaken his life when he sells Jesus out to the religious leaders for 30 pieces of silver. I wonder, though, if Judas was ever passionate in his love for following Jesus or if he was always just out for himself. I would like to think that he was passionate at some point, but over time, like many of us, his passion took some hits that left him bitter and angry. I want to offer some insights into how we lose our passion for Jesus. I call these passion destroyers, but then I also want to supply what I'm calling passion reigniters, to counter the effects of the destroyers. So let's take a look at three. 
The first passion destroyer is unacknowledged sins. We see this in Judas as his greed robs him of his passion and compromises his relationship with Jesus and everyone else. Most of us know we're sinners, but we argue that we're not as bad as those other people whose sins are far greater than ours. On a conscious level, we think, I'm okay, I'm not a bad person, my sin is no big deal. But subconsciously, the sins we dismiss as minor or fail to acknowledge at all continue to gnaw at us beneath the surface. We push them even deeper into our unconscious brains to keep them at bay. This burying only works for a while because whenever it gets quiet, the awareness of our sins and the guilt associated with those sins rise to the surface and infiltrate our hearts and minds like an invisible gas suffocating us and robbing us of joy. The psalmist described it this way, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. Unacknowledged sin weighs us down and can even make us sick. No matter how hard we try to keep our brokenness hidden deep inside, it always finds its way back up to the surface. It's like a beach ball that we try to keep submerged in the pool, but it pops up out of the water no matter how hard we try to keep it under the water. We're not created to live with guilt. Guilt is God's way of letting us know we're backsliding. It's like a check engine light in our car that tells us something's wrong and needs our attention. And just like you shouldn't keep driving your vehicle with the check engine light on, God doesn't expect us to carry guilt around with us all the time. He wants us to deal with the source of our guilt immediately, and He gives us the perfect way to do that. 1 John says, If we confess our sins, He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To confess means we agree with God, saying, God, you're right. What I've done has hurt me and hurt others, and it's a sin and it's wrong. I'm sorry, and now I want to begin living the kind of life that you want me to live. So, if unacknowledged sin destroys our passion, what's a, a way to, get, to reignite it? If guilt destroys your passion for Jesus then the remedy to reignite that passion is to examine your life to see where you've been missing the mark and confess, and then trust God to do the rest. Sometimes we carry guilt around for weeks, months, and even years when we shouldn't carry guilt around for even an hour. The minute we realize our spiritual check engine light is flashing, we can acknowledge our sinful behavior and ask God to forgive us. If we've sinned against someone else, we may need to seek their forgiveness too and find a way to make amends so long as it doesn't harm anyone. If your passionate devotion to God has taken a hit, do a quick inventory and see if any unacknowledged sin is lingering beneath the surface and 
Determine whether that's keeping you from experiencing God's love. And if it is, do your part, which is to confess, and trust God to do his part, which is to forgive. The second passion destroyer is when our spirits become so depleted that we have nothing left to give. Judas struggled to hold everything together when we saw him chastising Mary at the dinner party. Several nights later, Judas hanged himself following the betrayal kiss on Jesus' cheek in the garden at Gethsemane. How desperate Judas must have been to make that choice. I love the way Frederick Beekner reflects on this. He says, There's a tradition in the early church that Judas's suicide was based not on despair, but hope. If God was just, then Judas knew there was no question where he would end up heading as soon as he breathed his last. He would go to hell. Furthermore, if God was also merciful, Judas knew that there was also no question that in a last-ditch effort to save the souls of the damned, Jesus would be down in hell too. Thus, the way Judas figured it, hell might be the last chance he'd have of making it to heaven. So to get there as soon as possible, he tied the rope around his neck and kicked away the stool. Who knows? In any case, Beekner continues, it's a scene to conjure with. Once again, Jesus and Judas met in the shadows. The two old friends, both a little worse for wear after all that had happened. Only this time, it was Jesus who was the one to give the kiss. And this time, it wasn't the kiss of death that was given. I hope your spirit is never so desperate that you consider taking this path. But God's grace can reach us anywhere, no matter what. God will never stop pursuing us and wooing us with his love and showering us with his grace. But we'll never experience God's healing presence unless we stay in touch with him. There are spiritual disciplines or practices that can bring us closer to God. And here are five that I want you to think about. First is worship. And we can worship God every day by setting aside some time to offer thanks for our blessings. Second, we can connect with other Christians who will challenge us to remain faithful as we share in fellowship. Third, we can focus on God's Word through study and learn more about His will for our lives. Fourth, we can engage in ministry where we're using our talents to help others. And finally, we can develop our unique mission to the world where we're pouring into the lives of others and sharing our faith, not just with words, but with actions. Now, this is very important. We can't just pick one of these five and go with it because if we don't do them all, our lives are out of balance and we'll never regain our passion. The starting point is remembering how God feels about us. Do you know that God is hopelessly in love with you? We're not passionate about God because we've lost connection with the God who knows us better than anybody else and loves us just the same. The prophet Jeremiah said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. 
the more we understand God's passionate love for us and allow that experience to wash over us, the more passionate we'll become in our devotion to God. So, what is the passion reigniter for a starving spirit? Well, commit to practice daily, even if only in small ways, all five disciplines of worship, fellowship, study, service, and mission. Try it for 66 days in a row and see how it impacts your life. The third passion destroyer is an undefined purpose. The third character in John's story of the dinner party is Jesus. From the beginning of his ministry, his purpose was always evident. In Luke's gospel, we read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When we look back over Jesus' ministry, this is precisely what he did. Every day when he got out of bed, he decided once again to live into his purpose. And that's how he stayed passionate in his connection to his Father, even when his purpose took him to the cross. A failure to define our purpose in life is a sure way to destroy our passion. If we don't discover the purpose of our lives, we can't fulfill it, and the world is less than what God planned for it to be. Life without a defined purpose is merely activity without direction. It's motion without meaning. Life without purpose is trivial, petty, and pointless. Maybe you felt like the prophet Isaiah who said, I've labored to no purpose, and I've spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Passion and purpose go together. When we have a clear purpose, it provides a reservoir of passion that we're able to draw from for the long haul. Brent Hobbs said this, Passion is waking up in the morning wherever you are and bounding out of bed because you know there's something out there that you love to do, that you believe in, that God made you for and you're good at, something that's bigger than you are, and you can hardly wait to get at it again. It's something that you'd rather be doing than anything else, and you wouldn't give it up for money because it means more to you than money. So the passion reigniter for an undefined purpose is finding that purpose. And there are various ways to discover God's purpose for your life. We like to recommend Simon Sinek's book, Find Your Why, a practical guide for discovering purpose for you and your team. If you're interested in working with a partner through this process to discover your purpose and then to see how it fits into the vision of our church, then I want to invite you to our Leadership Summit at 5 p.m. on Sunday evening, April 3rd, here at the church to learn more about the process. Today we celebrate Holy Communion, where we experience God's passionate devotion to us. As we receive the sacrament, we need to allow God to show us where we need to acknowledge the impact of sin in our lives and ask for forgiveness. Then, 
commit to attending to the five spiritual disciplines to increase our passionate devotion to God. And then finally, take the next steps needed to discern or clarify God's purpose for us so we can make an even more significant contribution to the kingdom of God. I look forward to joining you on this journey of faith where our passion is reignited and where God blesses us through that love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for being with us on this episode of First Words. And feel free to reach out to us if there's anything we can do for you. We'd love to hear from you. And until next week, take care. Thank you for listening to First Words. For more information about our services or how to get involved in our community, visit us at fumcflorence.org or facebook.com slash florencefumc.